You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Fresh for your ears, tell everybody. It's the new podcast from the producers of Destination Freedom Black Radio Days. Produced and hosted by Donnie Opex of No Credits Production comes The Eclectic. Interviews with difference makers, artists, authors, bold thinkers, people we love who get shit done. Our special guest is just that, very special. He was named the 2021 Colorado Teacher of the Year. I've known Jerry, he allows me to call him Jerry. Geraldo Munez, since he was in high school at Manuel High School in Denver, Colorado. He is a social studies teacher at Denver Center for the International Studies at Baker and the Denver Public Schools. We're very honored that this young man is with us. He works for social justice in the classroom each and every day. Join us now as we speak with Geraldo Munez, 2021 Colorado Teacher of the Year. I am super excited to Welcome in our next guest, someone that I've known for a long time, <laughs> seeing his career develop and evolve and just blossom throughout the many years. Mr. Geraldo Munez, um, he's also uh, has a master's in curriculum and instruction from the University of Colorado Boulder. He's working on his doctorate now. Uh, is that at uh, University yeah. of Denver? Yep, that's University of Denver. He's working at the, on his doctor at the University of Denver. He's a graduate of Manuel High School, so he's a DPS product, a very proud product. Right. And he's the 2021 Colorado Teacher of the Year. So I'm honored. I don't think yeah. I've ever spoken to a Teacher of the Year before. <laughs> I'm, I'm at the Denver Center for International Studies at Baker. We have multiple campuses serving multiple grade levels. And so I'm at um, kind of the flagship uh, grade six through 12. Beautiful, so. beautiful. So I usually start my uh, interviews uh, exactly the same way each and every time. So let's just, let's just do it. Tell me your full name, your mama's name, your mama's mama's name, and where you spent your childhood. All right. Uh, so my full name, if I'm, if I'm doing the Mexican style, is uh, Gerardo Adrian Munoz McGregor, McGregor being my mother's last name. Mm. Uh, my mama's name is Sarah. Um, shout out Sarah McGregor, my mama. Um, her mama's name, name was uh, Inez McGregor. She was, her maiden name was Norwood. And I believe, and I could have this wrong, but I believe that her mama's name was Essie Norwood, um, who lived in the San Luis Valley. Um, my childhood was spent on the east side of Denver, Colorado. Um, 
right there in the little fold between Five Points and Whittier. Um, so I, I was I was born and raised within a stone's throw of my uh, alma mater, Manual High School. Um, as you kind of alluded to, um, I'm a DPS kid who uh, started school at the beginning of integration and uh, graduated right towards the end of the busing system. So I uh, spent my childhood running around, let's see, Curtis Park, the Creamery, um, playing basketball over at Mitchell, and uh, of course, uh, watching the Thunderbolts play basketball at the high school. All right. <laughs> and so, acting. And spend, I, spend it on stage, but I, but I feel like we'll, we'll get to that. <laughs> yeah, we will. We will. You know, and, and as I say about some teachers, they're on stage each and every day. They have to perform. That's right. You know? That's so, right. Yeah. And they got a uh, sometimes captured audits and sometimes not. So, so, well, let's start with that. You know, <clears throat> we started the fact that uh, we're speaking with an amazing, amazing Colorado 2021 Teacher of the Year. So we want to start there. What led you into education? Yeah, that's that's really a great question. Um, I, don't, I don't think I have the same story as a lot of Teachers of the Year have. You hear the story that I always wanted to be a teacher. It was always my dream. School was always a safe place for me. And I can't I can't say that school is always a safe place for me. Hmm. And I can't say that the education system felt safe for me or um, the kids I grew up with in my community. So I really um, I mean, the, the, the sort of cynical answer is that I graduated college. I didn't have a job. I needed work. And there was a long term sub position open at Contemporary Learning Academy, an alternative site in DPS. Um, so the need for a consi consistent paycheck is what brought me in, but what kept me was realizing that I was teaching students who reminded me of the kids I grew up with. Gotcha. I was teaching students who had been left behind, teaching students who weren't seeing themselves reflected in the curriculum or in the teaching staff and students who the you know the white teachers i worked with were wonderful people but they didn't really always understand um the black and brown students that we were tasked with serving and so and so that's what kept me in trying to be that teacher that my best friends from the neighborhood never got mm. and so that's what held me in it's this is my 23rd year i uh, never had a bad year uh, COVID was a bad year, but, yes, um, yes. but not, but, you know, I think that in terms of real ways that we could meet the needs of our students and really just be there in, in a humanizing way, it, it was a wonderful opportunity to bond with, to connect with communities over things that were not just academics, but I love teaching because young people are amazing. They're dynamic. Um, they're creative. They have not been their spirit hasn't been defeated necessarily they still think that everything's possible um and harnessing that energy and helping them find the best version of themselves um is something that's really deep and meaningful to me i love that that's a beautiful answer thank you so much for sharing thank you <laughs> you touched on a couple of things that i want to come back to a was <clears throat> you said you one of the reasons that has kept you there is you saw the need to be there for those students that did not have someone that you didn't have that you felt that really spoke to you when it comes to black and brown students as you know there's still a huge void uh in the yeah. teaching profession uh, of teacher, teachers that look like you look like me um teaching students right. what what 
and, and you brought up something that I thought was very interesting too. You talked about how you know the, the white teachers are, are you know they they want to do the best they can do, but they mm-hmm. don't understand. How yeah. would you address a teacher that's in a school where you know there's no other teachers that of color? How would you yeah. help them help the students? And majority of their students are students of color. Yeah, it's interesting because that was most of the first half of my career being one of the only educators of color in my building. And so it's really interesting, the sort of, um, I would say the professional trauma of being the only one is really profound. And so I think I think the first priority is that systemically, but also just, you know, if you're a principal in a, in a school, you've, you've got to hire these teachers, you've got to find them because there are people of color going into education every day. I had this incredible opportunity to speak in Greeley at the uh, future teacher, uh, future educators, um, uh, what was it called? Future Educator, Educator Expo, sorry, words are hard. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, uh, um, you know, the number of Black and Latinx youth who were interested in becoming teachers was pretty significant. So, um, and now if, if we're not able necessarily to amplify those young people, I think that the first thing is to listen um, and to listen without prejudice. I think one of the big um, struggles that uh, white educators have and let me flip this a different way. One of the struggles that black and brown children have when they're in classrooms with a lot of white educators is that they don't feel like their version of things is believed. That our black and brown children are coming into classrooms and they have ways of seeing the world and they have experiences that oftentimes teachers have a hard time relating to and so they have a hard time believing. And so I think a lot of it is is listen, you know, to the kids. And then I think the other thing is that, you know, I've had students tell me over, you know, two decades that I've been working with them that, um, yes, they would love to have teachers who look like them, but more than anything, they just want teachers who care about them as people and who also try to teach them, you know, and, and Donnie, I don't know if you're going to bring this up, so I'm going to bring it up. I think that, I think you, I think you are actually one of, the most important teachers that I have. And you weren't a classroom teacher by contract, but you you were definitely a teacher as as a person who was guiding us, um, you know, especially kids of color to be on stage, that the environment was always warm, but we were also accountable for our learning and for our growth as as performers and as as people who were who were contributing to a production. So you know, at some other point, we'll have to have a conversation about just really how much your mentorship shaped my teaching career wow. you know, in the ways I still think of today. So, I mean, I think a lot of it really is relationship. It's like, and I'm sure people say this all the time, but I think it is um, understanding that our young people are capable of so much, um, but they're also in need of, of love. Um, in order to to meet and exceed their potential. And so I think it's got to be both. It's got to be, you've got to care about them as human beings and uh, and you've got to, you know, really teach them, you know, just really teach them. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. I think you, you hit on it. You said it's, it's about love, you know? 
And I think yeah. with a lot of teachers, too, if you love what you do and you love yourself, that's going to come across to your, your classroom and to your students. Right. You know, and I think, you know, we as human beings sometimes are at fault because we're faulty individuals as human beings. Uh, right. Not knowing that we need to bring those things. We bring other things to the classroom that are not necessary. Yeah, you know, absolutely. they need to be left, left outside the door. You know, so yeah. I mean, I'm just oh, absolutely with you too. I just know that you know I can just tell. Stepping into your school, I, I came there many years ago. Now I can't remember how many. Yeah, years, I remember eight, nine I years remember. ago or something like that. <laughs> but it seemed to be such a, a, a wonderful environment. You know, everybody was smiling. Yeah. You know, and everybody was happy to be there. And in some schools you go into, you don't feel that vibe. You know, so yeah. Uh, so I had <laughs> so to credit true. you and the rest of your curriculum there and all your colleagues for being that way. Let me ask you something. Yeah. You've talked about in past interviews that I've done my research on you. <laughs> and that, that is that you feel that you bring social justice every day to the classroom. Can you explain yeah. what you mean by that? Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, this, this is definitely a perspective that I have to really embrace, but also um, question every day. Um, a lot of it is rooted in my own experiences. Um, my own experiences of in classes, not always feeling seen, not always feeling respected, not, not always just feeling known. And so I think that's where I began my practice was, what did a kid like me who didn't actually have a whole lot of confidence? There were spaces where I was able to build confidence and where there were folks there to support me. But but I think a lot of it is like, and, and you know, I, I think that a lot of us teachers, when we go into the work, we tend to go in and teach the level that we have the most profound memories of. And I remember middle and high school more than anything else, maybe because they're obviously more recent, but in terms of, you know, the emotions and the struggles, I think I, think I have such a clear memory of that, that when I see my students struggling with something or when I see them excited about something, I kind of for some reason, I have a really clear notion of how that feels um, and what they may need to hear from me at, at that point. Um, but when it comes to social justice, you know, I think that um, it was definitely an outgrowth from my from my undergraduate experience. So I went to the University of Colorado at Boulder, as you mentioned, and um, that was the first time I was exposed to ethnic studies courses. And so I I filled every elective possibility with Chicano studies, with African-American studies, with as much of an understanding of ethnicity in America as I could, because I needed some way to attach terminology and to name the world that I grew up in. And so though the, the profound way that ethnic studies changed me, and I have to shout out especially uh, the late, great Dr. Elisa Facio, who got me through uh, Dr. Catherine Rios, who taught the first Chicano literature class that I took, um, you know, I, I realized how powerful that history was. And I wanted my students to experience that discovery as well. So as you kind of alluded to, social justice begins with a love of self. And, and I, think, I think it's difficult to arrive at a place where we fully love and accept ourselves. I still struggle with loving and accepting myself. Mm. Um, and uh, but I think if we start with a way of looking at ourselves as as being a part of history and as being a part of a heritage, um, one thing I loved, it was a few years ago. And I, and I would say I think it was as recent as four years ago that you were at our school um, because 
that was where I first heard you use uh, Dr. Harding's um, introductory formula, right? Mm. And I remember there was a there was a young man um, who uh, his family's been in our school forever. I mean, based for a generation, I would say. Okay. And um, I remember him standing up. And uh, he said his name, he said his mama's name, and then you asked him what his question was, and he said he didn't have a question. He just wanted to say the names. <laughs> I love it. I love and, um, it. Yeah. So, I mean, so I think a lot of that is, is like stepping into, into love, not just for yourself, but for the community that you came out of. And then I think it becomes, it's about dialogue. It's about talking to each other, getting to know each other, humanizing each other, and then really looking at what challenges we experience whether it's individually or whether it's a community, one of the one of the things that has really transformed me, not just as a uh, as a pol as a as a politician, as an educator, <laughs> whoa, um, <laughs> as an educator, uh, uh, you, but as a are person. Are you foreshadowing something there? Uh, no, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> um, but who knows? A Freudian slip, right? Um, but w one of the things that's really been transformative to me as a person and as a teacher has been student voice and leadership and really trusting students with the things that I purport to teach them and saying, listen, what do you see in the world around you that needs to be fixed? What do you see in the world around you that needs to be uplifted and that more people need to know about? And so I think that's how social justice conversations start. Now, I spent almost 20 years trying to wedge ethnic studies into everything I taught. Like mm -hmm. no matter what subject I was supposed to be teaching, I, it was, it was my ethnic studies coursework. So if we were supposed to teach about popular sovereignty, then we were talking about the Panthers. We were talking about the Brown Berets and we were kind of going in that way. And so I felt like this kind of clandestine teacher for a long time, just kind of squeezing this stuff in. But what I did over a course of almost 20 years was I was building my own knowledge and also learning how students were going to be receptive um, to the history of our marginalized and minoritized people in this country. Yes. And so then what it becomes is when the students say something like, I feel like when I go to sign up for an AP class and the, and the counselor questions me, I can say, you know what, that's just like in the 60s when black and brown children in integrated schools yes. were told that they could not take difficult classes, that they needed to take shop classes and nothing against those classes. We're seeing now that those offer something. Yes. But so when I say to them, A, your struggles are not your fault. You did not cause yourself to walk into an oppressive situation. And B, there's history around this. And C, now you can kind of join a movement of others who are looking to change it. So I think I think it really becomes about who are you, what is the com community around you, what do they need, and what will you do with your one life to address it? I think that's where the conversation around social justice in school um, begins. And it really becomes, you know, I was talking to my eighth graders about this. I think they were kind of confused about it, but um, <laughs> they, I was talking to them about how everything we do is the practice of freedom, that they're gonna be free people in four years. They're gonna be mm. 18 years old, they will be subject to all the laws that adults are subject to. They will be free to do all the things, well, most of the things that adults are free to do. And what are you going to do with your freedom? So we need to practice freedom now. And that is the question that we're always asking in class. To what extent is this thing that we're doing, this thing that we're working on, this priority we've set, make us free?
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What a beautiful, beautiful answer. My name is Donnie Betts, and you listen to The Eclectic, which is part of Destination Freedom Black Radio Days podcast. We're speaking with the 2021 Colorado Teacher of the Year, Geraldo Munoz. And Jerry, I'm just going to call you Jerry. What I used to call Jerry. That's all right. Yeah. You're so, one of the few people allowed to. <laughs> <laughs> so I appreciate that. Um, let's talk about a couple of things I wanted to bring up with you, too, is um, you just talk about how the students motivate you and what they do. And, and the fact that you're also a poet, you're educated, you're a podcaster, you're a Ph.D. candidate, all those kind of things, yeah. I would think when students look at you and go, oh, my God, this is what I could be as well, too. I'm hoping that they look at you and, and, and see you as that. But also, what what keeps you going? What, what do you do for yourself to keep you going, motivated, beside the students? Whew, that's a loaded question. <laughs> um, of course it I is. Think, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I think that's that's the thing that, um, that the quarantine – that came with COVID-19 really um, forced me to reckon with, because I think that like so many other public school teachers in the city of Denver, um, shout out to my 4,000 brothers and sisters and family in in this work in Denver, we had been burning the candle at both ends for far too long. Mm. And when school days were shortened and when it be, and when we were asked by our district to really, really, parse the way we are assigning grades and really be understanding of the social emotional needs of our students. I found that I had hours in the day that were just opening up. And I know that's privilege. I had the privilege of, of having that and not having to worry about a lot of things. My, my spouse and I were able to work from home and my child was, was in school virtually. She's a junior in high school now. And so there, you know, we, we had a lot of ability to kind of deal with that. And um, and I had to really start thinking about well, what is it that I what is it that I'm going to do to take care of myself, you know? And I and I got COVID in November of 2020, and um, mm. that was even more of a sort of hello. You get this one life in this one body. Wh- where are you going to move with it, and, and how are you going to live it? So yeah. so for me, I think um, you know I'm not going to say that my doctoral program is self care, although I love it. It's I love the learning. Um, I love being able to just read and discuss and and chop up ideas. Um, but on top of that, I I have um, I do I do write poetry. I have not really performed it, but um, one day, considering the uh, the the stage training I received from you and others at Manual, um, maybe that'll be a thing that I do. Uh, but I love to write. Um, I've run eight marathons. In fact, during um, during the pandemic, I was during the during quarantine. 
I had been scheduled to run the Aspen Valley Marathon. And of course, that summer of 2020, all in-person gatherings were canceled. Right. And so I wasn't, I was kind of disappointed because, you know, running 26.2 miles isn't that fun. But when you finish, then it is fun. It feels really mm. good. And so my wife, Claudia, and you were at our wedding. So you remember her. Um, yes. My wife had said, um, she's like, well, why don't you, why don't you do something? Why don't you still run them? run it on your own and, and try to raise money and awareness around important issues. And of course, um, we all remember that that summer of 2020 um, was sort of introduced with the murder by Derek Chauvin of George Floyd. Yes. And the, um, the agony and the trauma of uh, black people in America was, was laid bare. And, um, and so, so I, what I decided to do is establish at Arnold's run for justice and, uh, I ran uh, three full-length 26.2 marathons. I, one of them was 27.1 because I got lost. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was like, wait a minute. Hey, I, I just wanted if, if marathoners right get now. lost sometimes. <laughs> Where am I? Well, you, well, you know, it turns out that when you make your own route, it's probably, you're probably going to get lost. You know? <laughs> and so, and I had, I, I had wanted to finish in, in my old neighborhood. I finished City Park at the statue of Dr. King. Um, but mm, you know, beautiful. running those was really meaningful because, you know, I was able to raise awareness for some amazing organization, raise money for, for, uh, BLM 5280, raise money for the grow house, which, uh, yeah. tries to address food insecurity, um, in Swansea, which is near my old neighborhood. Yes. And, uh, then also raised, uh, funds for the heart and hand center, an amazing organization, uh, shout out Gwen down there in uh, in the five point center and so so you know the the running has always been really fun um and you know i think denver nuggets basketball you know you know me i'm a denver kid yes, um, yes. and so denver nuggets basketball has always been a uh, source of joy for me especially lately so i try not to take myself too seriously most of the time podcasting is a blast yes, um, as you yes. can attest um we've been doing two dope teachers in a mic for for almost six years now and um you and your really partner kevin like, evans Ken, Ke oh, kevin oh Kev. yeah me, shout kevin out to him Adams, <laughs> teacher extraordinaire he's phenomenal i always joke with him that he's he's working way harder than i am at teaching these days because he's just really locked in and he's amazing um you know so so that's been really fun and honestly what what the best thing about the last two years has been for me has been just getting in community with other people and hearing people's stories i think that's really that's really the thing that, that I love more than anything else is just learning people's stories and learning who people are and how they became that way. And, and I feel like I could just do that. Um, you know, if, if there is a way to get, get a salary for doing that, yo, I'm up for it. But, um, <laughs> hey, let but me know when uh, you find out because I'm looking for it too. Because uh, <laughs> we love doing exactly, the same thing. Exactly, <laughs> right? But it is great, like just being connected to people and, know, and learning from them. That's, that's probably the thing that brings me the most joy out of anything else. Beautiful, beautiful. You alluded to your, your um, podcast, Two Dope Teachers and a Mic. Let's talk about yeah. that. How did that all start? And I'm, I'm just so excited <laughs> about it. When I listen to you talk to all these fabulous educators, um, and not only locally, but nationally. And I think maybe you've had a couple yeah. of international folks on, you know, so. Yeah, yeah. We, uh, so, man, uh, the the uh, the Two Dope Nation grew really fast. We were very surprised. Um, it started with uh, me and Kevin just, um, you know, you have in, in education, and, and my educators of color will uh, will know what, to, what we're talking about. You have the staff meeting 
and then you have the other staff meeting that happens immediately <laughs> after the staff meeting. <laughs> and With so, the folks. Um, oh, man. That's and what I call it, the folks things. meeting. <laughs> That's right, that the folks meeting. That's what it is. It's where we're kind of like, okay, let's talk about how we really felt in there. <laughs> and, you know, it starts with the eye contact across the room saying, did this person just say what I think they just said? Right, right. And uh, this, isn't a, this isn't about my staff. Most of the time, like most of the time, we'd have presenters. And we had had... Uh, I remember the first big conversation we had was when um, when a former administrator brought in um, four police officers to talk to us about the looming threat of gangs in our school. Mm. And uh, these were four white police officers. And it was such an uncomfortable presentation for us to sit through. And so we went back to my room afterwards and we just talked about, man, did you feel weird? Yeah, I felt weird. Like, what were we? And so we sort of talked about our own positionality as brown and black men and you know the loaded situation that it is to hear our students who we love being talked about by white law enforcement officers and you know i think i think police have a hard job like it's not a job i would do but at the same time you know i think there's opportunities to educate ourselves that that I, that are available to us if we choose to take them and these individuals didn't seem like they'd really taken that opportunity and so so we started just having these conversations afterwards. I think we had both been so isolated as educators of color, not really having a lot of people to talk to who really understood what, how we saw the world. And, um, and then we stumbled across the, uh, the uh, podcast by W. Kamau Bell and Kevin Avery. Um, Denzel Washington is the greatest actor of all time, period. So we both stumbled upon this podcast we started listening to we started talking about laughing about but thinking about these important themes of representation in the arts and uh one day kevin says to me he's like what if we did that like just like made a podcast and i kind of laughed i'm like who would listen (laughs) you know it's just (laughs) us complaining um so we gave it a try i think you know and, and for me you know there there are some educators who rightly are excited about their their summer vacation and their breaks so they can just rest and chill and do nothing. Um, when I'm not teaching, that's when my creative juices start flowing mm. um, because I can direct things. And December 28th, 2016, um, I think I stayed up all night like Googling and teaching myself how to make a podcast. It's like teaching yourself a, a foreign language. <laughs> and, yes, um, yes. and so December of 2016, our first episode went up and uh, what we try to do is remix the conversation on race, power, and education. And we've had um, the sort, I think people respond really well to the, to the kind of real talk. Uh, we're lighthearted, but we're serious. Yes, absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. And we try, to keep our, we try to keep our finger on the pulse of what the people are feeling, and we try to ask hard questions. Um, notably, we had the opportunity, oh my gosh, now it's like three years ago, yeah. to interview uh, Boots Riley, who, uh, you know, the filmmaker nice. of Sorry to Bother You, right. and, uh, you know, rapper from The Coup. We, we've interviewed Dr. Bettina L. Love, whose abolitionist teaching book has been really important. And then most recently, uh, Dr. Goldie Muhammad, uh, Cultivating Genius, and that amazing work. Um, and then uh, Dr. Miguel Cardona, the Secretary of Education, was on the show about almost three weeks ago. Nice. And so it's just been pretty incredible just to just to know how many people appreciate the voice and the platform. And um, it's been incredible. So, yeah, we uh, and Kev came up with the name Two Dope Teachers and a Mic. A lot of people don't 
uh, know what that's a reference to, but if you know, you know, and, um, <laughs> <True>. <laughs> and it's just been super fun. And, you know, honestly, I started this PhD program and, but honestly, the, the five years I've been doing the podcast, I've learned so much mm. about how others approach education and social justice that, you know, I can bring these things into, into, into academia and, right, you right. know, and I've kind of been in contact with these ideas. So it's, it's been, it's been incredible. And I think it directly led to other opportunities that I would have later on. Well, I'm very excited for you. I'm very honored that you agreed to do my podcast, uh, The Eclectic, oh, which is part of Destination Freedom Black Radio Days, um, and hosted by me, Donnie L. Betts. <laughs> so, um, the Donnie L. Betts. The <laughs> Donnie L. Betts. <laughs> so, because, you know, uh, you know, I've talked to, like you were saying, you get a chance to an opportunity to speak to so many individuals and you get so educated yourself just by having these great conversations with people. And mm-hmm. like you were saying, you know, you just have try to have a conversation. It's not trying to be outsmart each other, it's not trying to be cute right. and you know, coy and all that kind yeah. of stuff. Just being that's real. Right. That's right. And so I think that's why your podcast is very successful because you you bring that to mm-hmm. the table. And I just hope you and continued success for you and your partner and for the educational community Thank that you, you represent. You know, we've been honored Thank today you. to speak with you, and um, we're yeah, gonna do we, this again. We gotta have you on ours too. We got, uh, and we gotta have you on ours. So well, we'll I would love, would love to be there. <laughs> love to be there. You know, so uh, you know, I dabble in my my toes in the education a little bit. Yes. You know, so uh, I'll yes. try to keep, I'll oh, put man. my foot in. And, and again, <laughs> I'll say it again. You you were you were one of the most important educators that I had, and uh, you know, Thank I'd love you. to be able to share share that with you some more because. Um, you know, I come back to it all the time and just how blessed I was to to come across Donnie Betts in my uh, in my educational walk at a time that I really needed you. Well, you know, so I appreciate it. I really <laughs> appreciate it. Uh, so it. let's talk again real soon. Uh, and thanks for stopping great, by Donnie. today. I know you had to take off. Yeah. So I'm going to honor that and the best to your family. All right. Donnie, thank you for having me and uh, best of luck. Can't wait to continue to follow your work and get you on our show. Same here. Same here. Much love to you, brother. Um, much love. Okay. Okay. Bye bye. I'm Donnie Betts, and this is The Eclectic. It's produced by Donnie L. Betts and No Crunch Production LLC. You're listening to The Eclectic. The series is mixed by Maurice Smith. Please subscribe to our podcast at Spotify, Radio Public, iTunes, Stitchers, or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Facebook at NoCreditsProductionLLC.com, Instagram, on Twitter at Donnie Betts, or at The Eclectic, the podcast. I'm Donnie Betts. Talk to you soon. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work 
or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R E R I S E T H E A T R E dot org, because only together we rise. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.